Hello, and welcome to Macro Minutes. During each episode, we'll be joined by RBC Capital Markets experts to provide high conviction insights on the latest developments in financial markets and the global economy. Please listen to the end of this recording for important disclosures. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the uh, February 21st edition of Macro Minutes called uh, Fooled by Lags with a big question mark. I'm Jason Daw, your host for today's call, which we're recording at 9 a.m. Eastern time on February the 21st. So since our last call uh, two weeks ago, fixed income markets um, have accelerated their sell-off. We've had 15 basis points that have been added to uh, Fed terminal pricing, uh, bringing the cumulative hikes over the next uh, three meetings to almost uh, 75 basis points. And this has also dragged up market pricing for other central banks, pushed bond yields higher, kept curves pretty flat, and introduced some modest uh, downside risk uh, to risk assets. Um, to tell us if these trends can be sustained or if the market is being fooled by policy lags, on today's call, we have myself uh, to talk about Canada and a little bit about the U.S., uh, Robert on the Canadian housing market, uh, a hot topic for investors, Blake on the U.S., uh, Peter on the U.K. and Europe, and Adam on uh, currencies. So to kick it off, um, I'll start. So in the past uh, couple of weeks, uh, sentiment has swung violently. It's only been a few short weeks ago that the market was convinced that the Bank of Canada would not hike again in 2023 and that the Fed uh, could not achieve uh, its dots, never mind uh, blowing through them. And now here we are. So the market's testing whether the Bank of Canada will be able to stay on hold and is now believing that the Fed can probably hike uh, maybe three more times, and that means all the way to the June meeting, which uh, kind of seems like a lifetime away. Now, maybe the data will justify current market pricing, but with the current information set, I do feel as though uh, the market is being fooled by lags in the context of what's happening in North America. So normally it takes um, anywhere from 18 to 24 months for monetary policy to have its full impact. And it's really only been six to eight months since central banks um, have started to hike rates aggressively. So it's not really that surprising that some of the data is still coming in uh, strong. And I would say that's especially the case for the labor market, which is probably the biggest lagging indicator. So if you look historically, you'll see that the unemployment rate in Canada uh, and the U.S. Um, is at cyclical lows around 12 to 18 months before a recession ensues. And this is because it takes time for monetary policy to work through the system. Um, you know, at the risk of uh, cherry picking, when you look at other uh, coincident or lagging indicators, um, in this case in the U.S., stuff like manufacturing surveys, new orders, and particularly the conference board leading indicator, uh, the signs are pretty clear. Uh, growth is going to slow and the labor market uh, should loosen as a result. So it does feel like the bond market uh, sell-off uh, might have limited legs. And based on the ranges we've seen for the past nine months, um, we're probably near um, attractive levels to get long. Uh, for the Bank of Canada, specifically uh, meeting date pricing, the small chance of a March hike um, that's being baked into the OIS market uh, does seem excessive. After today's downward surprise in CPI, we think effectively the chance of a March hike is zero. Uh, we find it hard to rationalize that the bank would shift gears from a pause uh, to a hike in such a short period. Uh, looking out further, um, a full hike being priced in mid-year also seems a bit rich to us, and we think after the CPI report today, that um, a 50-50 chance uh, should be a better reflection um, of the uh, probability. 
Um, so with that, I'll turn it over, um, you know, to Robert uh, from our economics team who specializes in uh, Canadian housing uh, to tell us uh, where we're at and what can happen going forward against the backdrop of higher rates. Right, thanks, Jason. Hi, uh, everybody. I think and you just mentioned some, some of the uh, indicators that uh, typically uh, can lag the cycle, but, but this one, uh, you know, the Canadian housing market has, has you know, reacted very uh, almost instantly to uh, the, um, from the Bank of Canada, which is in, in some ways a, a little bit unusual. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, the housing market has since been in, in correction and, and fairly significantly so with uh, home resales now uh, down to approximately 40% since uh, the peak in February last year. Uh, and with the latest uh, numbers for January still showing some uh, the, the correction moving uh, on. But that being said, uh, you know, what we've seen since the fall is that the, the rate of uh, decline in housing, uh, home vehicle activity has slowed down. Uh, in the last four months, it's, uh, the, the, the drop from, from month to month has uh, averaged uh, just over 1%, and that compares to uh, uh, close to 7% through the uh, spring and, and summer. So there's clearly some slowing down now. And in some markets, for example, in Ontario and greater Toronto area, uh, it's, it looks like we've reached a, a close to a, a floor here. Uh, so we, our view is that the, the Canadian housing market is not uh, very far from, from a bottom uh, in terms of activity. Uh, however, in terms of prices, we're still seeing prices decline with a little uh, a sense that uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the rate of decline is uh, slowing down. Uh, and then we've seen that again in, in January. And our view is that the bottom for prices will be a bit more delayed relative to, uh, to activity. At this point, we're looking at uh, you know, probably later in, in uh, uh, a little bit later this year uh, and uh, with um, still some significant risk if, if uh, for example, if you know, we're a little bit off on, on the Bank of Canada call and the interest rates uh, continue to rise uh, a little bit more. Uh, now, what uh, we're talking about here is a correction and not a housing collapse. Uh, the Canadian housing market remains very strongly supported by fundamentals and demographics being uh, front and center there. Very strong population growth uh, in 2022, uh, you know, the, the strongest we've seen in, in decades, and with a very high immigration expectation over the coming years, you know, we still see those fundamentals uh, being uh, uh, present uh, uh, going forward. So, the, 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 uh, and, and at this point, we see very little sign that uh, the market is uh, overbuilt. Uh, so, the, 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 what we were talking just about a year ago about a lack of supply will probably become an issue again, maybe a year or two from now. So, what we're seeing from from in terms of the, 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 what's happening in the housing market is much more of an adjustment uh, to uh, to a higher, a tighter monetary policy. And very far from from a, 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 um, a structural change in in the structural correction here. So just we're just writing those uh, kind of at the tail end of that uh, transition. Uh, still a few more months to go, uh, but no no housing collapse here. Back to back over to you, Jason. Okay, thank you, Robert. Um, obviously, the evolution of the Canadian housing market is going to remain a hot topic for investors, and we look forward to uh, joining Macro Minutes again in the uh, near future. Um, now over to Blake to tell us whether Fed thing and the bond market uh, has it right or wrong. Yeah, hey, Jason. Um, so, you know, I say this um, on a morning when we've already sold off back to the top of the ranges, but I do think that the sell-off we've seen um, over the last week or two is near 
kind of upper bound, at least in fives and tens, probably a bit less conviction on twos here, at least until we get a new catalyst. I think we're in a bit of a lull for data, at least for the next few weeks. I think we're unlikely to learn anything from the FOMC minutes um, coming up. Uh, recall that that meeting was pre-NFP, so unlikely to tell us really anything about the Fed's uh, way of thinking after this strong data that we've gotten since NFP. Um, and I also think the Fed have a very high bar to start talking up 50 basis point hike. Um, the, the Fed, just like markets, are kind of waiting for a further catalyst. Um, so that kind of leaves us in this environment where I think we're highly data dependent. Um, you know, of course, we're always data dependent, but I think that's even more so now with markets grappling on whether, um, you know, the Jan- this strong January data that we've received is more a one-off and a, broad and weakening, a broader weakening trend or if this is signed of, uh, uh, you know, a more lasting reacceleration. Um, very near term, um, I, I think, you know, at the top of that range, I do expect some modest leaf rally to take hold. But I think it's also fair to say that we probably stay comfortably in the upper half of those November, February ranges and probably close to the top or uh, close to the upper end. Um, you know, one, one reason for that, I think it's very hard to restart the December, January duration demand that we saw while terminal is once again in flux. Um, I think a necessary condition for that rally we saw in December and January was that certainty on terminal and um, accounts really being comfortable that the Fed wasn't going to continue pre- pressing rates higher. Um, I also think this time, you know, we cuts have been pushed out in time, um, but they've also been priced out to some degree um, in this recent sell-off. I think the steady state Fed funds rate that we reach in kind of 24, 2024, 2025, it's gone from around 270 to 320 over the last few weeks. So we're not only pushing those cuts out in time, but we're also removing them to some degree. Um, you know, that, that's a bit of a different dynamic than what we saw in 2022 when we typically saw higher terminal rates be associated with this kind of hard landing and more cuts being priced in in the back end. But now higher terminal really seems to be going hand in hand with this no landing possibility and the correlation between terminal pricing and the cuts priced into the curve. So, for example, Z3, Z4, Z5 has really broken down over the last few weeks. Um, you know, for my part, um, you know, I think strong data certainly brings terminal discussion back to life and, and fully put that back on the table. But I think the pricing out of cuts uh, is still a bit premature or perhaps overdone at this point. So from here, um, you know, we, we lean towards some short-term relief rally back towards the middle of the range, as I discussed. But even on a longer-term basis, I think, you know, we will reach terminal certainty, even if, um, you know, the strong data pushes that out. Uh, I think that eventually brings back duration demand and, um, you know, some return of cut pricing and these hard landing risks um, will continue to push yields lower throughout the rest of this year. Um, on curve, fairly low conviction, 210s, 530s right here, but I do think there's some modest scope for that cup pricing to return, as I mentioned, so it would fade any further steepening in, um, you know, in that kind of Z3, Z4, 2s, 5s type of area, absent any kind of economic catalyst that, that you know, kind of reconfirm uh, that reacceleration of the data. But I, I still think that at some point we do get some of that cup pricing re- uh, returning back into the curve, even if not to the extremes that we saw in, in kind of January or even late December. Uh, and I will pause there and, and pass it along. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, Blake. Uh, next up is Peter to tell us what's happening in the UK or Europe and what he's thinking going forward. Thank you, Jason. So before I start going into any kind of analysis, it's probably worth highlighting that um, the sell-off in bond markets that we've seen was particularly pronounced in the euro market. When you look at 10-year bond yields, uh, we're now back at 250, so very close uh, to the most recent highs. Moreover, when you look at the shorter end of the curve, um, Blake was just talking about the terminal rate. When you look at the terminal rate that's priced in the euro market, we've pushed that um, to a new high. So whereas previously we were pricing um, at the end of the year, the terminal rate to be just above 350, 
Um, now we're pricing it solidly at about 375. So um, after the most recent data releases, and I'll say something more about that in a second, and the relatively hawkish rhetoric that came out of the ECB, um, we've really accelerated that process once again. So what has led us here? Well, um, I mean, Jason was saying earlier that there's a bit of a discrepancy between forward-looking indicators and backward-looking indicators. That's less the case over here in Europe. Um, and quite to the opposite, I would say, the backward-looking indicators, particularly the labor market, remains very strong. Um, but most recently, the, well, the, so the, 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 the prime forward-looking indicators that everyone is focusing on, the purchase and manager indices, the PMIs, they have started to rebound quite vigorously. Now, that's not totally surprising um, because they were at really low levels going into the winter when the threat of uh, energy shortages was um, all, the, all the rage, and that has dissipated, and now they are rebounding. And that should have an impact, of course, on the economy and the, the real activity data that came out so far has also been stronger than expected. So clearly that leaves the ECB a little bit in a conundrum because on the one hand, um, inflation is coming down, but the activity data is stronger and is stronger than they were expecting. Um, and uh, potentially that implies um, that inflation remains at, uh, at levels that, that they feel uncomfortable with for longer than expected. And hence the hawkish rhetoric that we've seen most lately pushing the market. So where does that leave us? Now, at the moment, we are still inclined to think that with 375 implied, um, the, the odds that um, this could be significantly advanced from there seems low. Um, but obviously, that was the case already 25 basis points before, and the market has sold off nevertheless. But still, it looks about right to maybe a little overdone to me. Um, also, so far, the range for the longer end of the curve, um, for the 10 years in particular, has held. So we haven't printed a new high. We haven't broken out to the upside. And for the time being, um, I warn everyone that um, in a sideways market, typically when you approach the boundaries of the range, it always feels like you're breaking out. Having said that, we remain very, very attentive because, um, as I was saying earlier, if there is a place um, in the economies that we are focusing here at RBC where you could say there is a justification from the data, it is probably in the euro area. So uh, in terms of trading strategies, for the time being, we remain content with what we've been recommending for quite a while, namely credit longs. Um, at the shorter end of the curve, even though that hasn't really um, performed that well lately. Um, we also recommend it uh, for quite some time, and that has worked quite well, um, asset swap tightness um, against the backdrop of relatively high issuance that comes out of um, pretty much every quarter in, uh, in Europe. And that has, uh, that has probably further legs to run. Now, um, as far as duration strategies are concerned, um, I think I would probably hold back for the time being and see if we can manage to break out. But as Jason was saying, when you look at our forecast grid, we also think that the ranges here in Europe will hold um, and that this is probably more of a tactical opportunity on the other direction. Um, but that's not something that I would currently strongly recommend. My conviction at this stage is just not high enough. But maybe in two weeks' time, that will be different. And with that, I'll hand you back to Jason. Okay, thanks a lot, Peter. Uh, last but not least, uh, Adam Cole on the currency market. Thanks, Jason. Um, so it seems um, pertinent for me to add the Bank of Japan to this debate, uh, not least because that's a central bank where um, change definitely is coming in the form of a new governor uh, that we now know the identity of. And uh, Ueda, the incoming governor, um, speaking uh, really for the first time for quite a few years 
uh, late this week when he uh, speaks at his um, hearing in the, uh, the lower house of parliament. So um, change is definitely coming at the Bank of Japan um, and markets are positioned for that. Um, where I think market positioning is quite wrong is what the implication of that change is for the currency, for the yen, where uh, yen bullishness is one of the most uh, crowded positions in current terms of uh, uh, both investors and analyst ex expectations. So I think that the message from Ueda will be normalization is coming in Japan. Um, that further widening of the yield curve control band is likely and at some point complete abandonment of yield curve control is ultimately where we're going. The question is, is that game-changing for the yen? And I think for two reasons it probably isn't or, or less so than is generally perceived. Firstly, I think JGB yields are not far uh, already from where they would be in the absence of yield curve control, looking at other points on the yield curve um, where the BOJ is not active or looking at other low-yielding markets. Um, JGB yields, I think, are probably not far from equilibrium already. So the yield curve controls is increasingly a non-binding constraint. Uh, and secondly, when change does come, it will come gradually, um, consistent with Oeda's um, pragmatic approach to, uh, to economics um, that he revealed when he was left on the policy board. Given that, um, as I've said on this call before, I, I think by far the more important revolutionary change in policy is what the changes at the Fed and the ECB have meant for domestic investors in Japan is more important than the relatively mild changes in long-term interest rates in Japan. The, the great irony for me as far as um, the yen is concerned is that um, the policy action from the BOJ causes large shifts in positioning on the part of foreign investors, who I think are short dollar yen and short JGBs, whereas the flow on the part of Japanese investors is dictated much more uh, strongly by uh, policy developments outside Japan. So uh, BOJ drives foreign flow, Japanese flow is driven mostly by foreign central banks. And to the extent that they are still dollar yen buyers, ultimately that's the trend I think that will likely reassert itself in the longer term. How do we trade that? Dollar yen has a lot of dollar direction, of course. It also has a lot of imported equity direction. So the way we, we've expressed this in our strategic views for the year and also tactically in a short-term trade for the week is to play the weaker yen view versus the Swiss franc, so knocking out some of that dollar directionality, knocking out some of the equity correlation and making that cleaner play on yen direction uh, in, uh, in isolation. And with that, back to Jason. Okay, thanks a lot, Adam. And thank you, everybody, for joining this edition of Macro Minutes. Uh, investors do continue to heavily debate the path of policy rates, uh, whether central banks are on hold, uh, going to cut uh, later in this year or hike more. And this does make uh, 2023 a challenging environment to deploy risk. Um, we're probably in a tactical market for the next little while as investors grapple with this uncertain uh, macro backdrop, but with a structural uh, drift lower in yields once the, once the market's convinced 
that central banks are finished. Uh, so stay tuned to our publications or reach out to us directly in the interim for additional insights on what we're thinking. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.